beauty so much. We even cast beautiful celebrities to play ugly people in movies. And then we praise them and give them Oscars and tell them they're being brave. That's not brave! <laughs> you know what's brave? Being ugly every f***ing day! Wow. Wow. Comedian Jim Jeffries talking about, that is funny. If, if, if a beautiful actor or actress gains a whole bunch of weight, right? Makes himself look ugly and plays somebody, they get an Oscar. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm loving this guy. That's a pretty funny. Yeah. Speaking of pretty celebrities, Jamie Lee Curtis out with an interview in People magazine when she talks about her 10 year opioid addiction. Oh, really? That she wow. was hiding from the world. Wow. Yeah, 10 years. That's funny. She's always seemed so together. You know? What with her probiotics and her regular movements? Well, right. Right. Day after day. <laughs> no surprises. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry to hear about that. Tim Cook with a blistering, blistering attack on Silicon Valley in a moment. Okay. First, this story. A couple of brothers, they run a couple of businesses in uh, Michigan. And uh, and they wanted to start a Christmas tree farm on a 16-acre piece of land they own. And so to do that, they needed to cut down a bunch of trees that were already on there because, as their attorney says, the property was ravaged by invasive plants like phragmites, buckthorn, and autumn olive. Buckthorn and autumn olive sound like uh, like actresses, actors and actresses. Phragmites sound like people were keeping out in a caravan coming to our borders. Exactly. Got to keep the phragmites out. If I were to be hired... By the adult film industry, I might work under the name Buckthorn. I don't know. So uh, the brothers uh, cut down the existing trees, and they were going to plant 2,500 Christmas trees. uh, And they had 1,000 of them planted. But there's a township ordinance that prohibits landowners from cutting down trees without the government's permission. Your own land. Right. You can't cut down any trees Unless you would ask the government if it's okay. I've never thought about it before. I got a lot of trees. Can I cut them down? I think I can cut them down. I would check, man. Although Maybe I, I can't. I, you're probably not going to get busted. Although I don't know. Some busybody will come by and see the, you know, the, the pile that you have to remove mm-hmm. them or, or what have you. Or see a wood chip or something and they'll freak out. And listen, I get the intent of these laws. That we need trees. Trees are an important part of the ecosystem, blah, blah, blah. But have you ever ridden, ac- have you ever ridden across... The country? Have you ever, ever ridden across Michigan? Have you ever ridden across California and, and Oregon, for instance, Washington State? A lot of trees. There's so many effing trees you can't. I mean, <laughs> seriously, you got to count them by the tens of millions. You can't see the forest for the trees. That's a good point. But so this is this is a story about um about government overregulation and and lack of uh, of uh, property rights. But one of my favorite aspects of it is that the township defines a tree as a woody plant with a defined stem of at least three inches in diameter at chest height. Chest height. Right. Then it's a tree. Right. But a woody plant with a defined stem of at least three inches. Because the township doesn't know the exact number of trees that the guys removed, it hired an arborist to examine the makeup of trees on an adjacent property to estimate the trees that were on the Percy Brothers property before they removed them. And in the settlement offer, the township proposed fines of about $450,000 for the removal of what it claims was slightly less than 1,500 trees so that they could plant 2,500 different trees. I got a giant tree I need brought down, and I'm not having any luck with any uh, company uh, coming out and doing it. They're so busy with dead trees from the 
that were killed by the drought. They're oh, just really? like, oh, yeah, if you're in the tree removal business, apparently you got as much work as you can handle. I, uh, and it's expensive. Uh, the guy I use, I'll, uh, I'll get you his number. All right. Um, real good, too. too. Good dude. Terrific dude. Used to play rock and roll with him way back in the day. Real good. The tree is up. I want it down. If he does that, I will consider it real good. Well, well there you go. <laughs> that's a low bar. Yeah, showing up. You know, that's funny. And it's the fires. And, and uh, you know, there's part of me that doesn't even want these words to come out of my mouth because those of you who are actually burned out, devastated, et cetera, by the fires don't want to hear this. But um, I had uh, some fellows over doing some work on the house the other day, and uh, one of my neighbors said, oh, my God, how'd you get somebody to show up? Yeah. Tell you what, it, it, quick, quick, get yourself a, a hammer and a saw and a drill, learn basic carpentry, and get rich. Get you get your contractor's license and start you know re-roofing and stuff. You'll be very wealthy soon. Anyway, uh, to uh, the tech world. Hey, coming up in a little bit, we're going to talk to one of the reporters from the San Jose Mercury News about all the priests in the San Francisco Bay Area and San Jose area that uh, looks like we're doing what priests have been doing apparently for decades all over the world, uh, which is really unfortunate. But I think I think we're finally saying enough as a society. It would seem so. I hope. Yeah. So, Tim Cook, Apple's uh, chief, is an interesting guy. You know, I disagree with him a lot, but I just I, I like of, to listen to him because he's a real idea guy. But put in one of the toughest positions in the history of the planet. Mm. Hey, you, be Da Vinci. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, that's funny. I was That's weird. Great minds think alike. I was just going to say, it'd be like, you know, Da Vinci dies and, and you get charge of his art studio. And you're thinking, okay, great. I'm good, but oh god! <laughs> well, really he, good. I'm fantastic, but I'm not once in a several centuries genius, right? Yeah. So anyway, I, I but I do find Tim Cook an interesting guy, and he warned the world's most uh, powerful regulators that the poor privacy practices of tech companies, the ills of social media, and the erosion of trust in his own industry threaten to undermine technology's awesome potential. Uh, to address all sorts of human challenges. In a searing critique of Silicon Valley, delivered in uh, Brussels, Cook began by stressing he remains optimistic that new technologies are driving breakthroughs in humanity's greatest common projects, but he expressed alarm about divisive political rhetoric that proliferates on social media platforms, rogue actors and governments that seize on algorithms to deepen divisions and cite violence, uh, and even undermine our shared sense of what is true and false. He also lamented, and this was probably my favorite part, an emerging data industrial complex. Wow. That allowed companies to know you better than you know yourself. Cook didn't mention Facebook, Google, or any other company by name, because he didn't have to. Cook stressed that privacy is a fundamental human right. Wow. That see, Apple is on the on the other side of everyone else in Silicon Valley on that one. Oh yeah, I and, tell you what, if I were Tim Cook, I'd hire bodyguards because Zuckerberg's going to come out of the shadows and cave his skull in. I mentioned I did some of the, the metaphorically. <laughs> I did some of the urban scooter riding yesterday in uh, downtown San Diego, and two apps that I signed up for for one of these high tech you know sort of companies and the app is that the app is super slick and everything like that and downloaded it real quick and but they all had an agreement that was like 50 pages long mm. that I had to agree to and all of them needed to access all kinds of different parts of my phone and I and I thought okay I want to ride this scooter I just gave them 
all of my contacts, all my phone numbers for all these people who are now going to get hit with advertisements. I'm going to get ads, my email addresses, who knows what else that they've they've accessed. Right. Because I downloaded this app. That's why those scooters exist. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the couple Probably of dollars so. they make off the that is nothing compared to the information they got from me yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that something? You know, it's, it hadn't occurred to me till this moment, but and I tried to teach my kids this. Free online video games are traps. My daughter, my oldest daughter, is such a sucker for this because uh, she just she doesn't have the skepticism gene, partly because you know her, her brain. Um, but uh, it hadn't occurred to me till right now that yeah, those scooters exist as as ripe cherries for you to pluck. You know, by the way, you can have this cherry. All we need is your data. So, yeah, wow. And lots of location information, obviously. But to wrap this up quickly, because we do have a great guest coming up, uh, Cook stressed that privacy is a fundamental human right. He praised the EU's tough data protection laws, and he called on U.S. regulators to pass a comprehensive digital privacy law of their own. Now more than ever, as leaders of government, decision makers in business, and as citizens, we must ask ourselves a fundamental question. What kind of world do we want to live in? That's good stuff. I'll, I'll be uh, curious, to say the least, to see how it progresses. I know the world right. we live in doesn't include, the world we want to live in doesn't include rapey priests. And we'll talk to a reporter from Mercury News, San Jose Mercury News, about that in a moment. Yeah, I'm pro-Catholic Church. I'm pro-Christianity. I'm pro-organized religion. I am, uh, but I'm hoping that this is finally going to come to an end where society says you don't get to keep doing this. I don't care how powerful you are. Right. <laughs> Um, that coming up next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So some some woman in South Carolina won the billion dollars, and uh, we just got this text that one of the office pools, I didn't get in this one, maybe you did, um, they won $14. So yes. trying to decide how to split it up among the, like 30 people that chipped in $14. Beautiful. There you go. Archdiocese after archdiocese, state after state, country after country, similar stories. Dozens or hundreds of priests accused of sexual crimes. And a new report uh, lists 212 Catholic priests in the San Francisco Bay Area of child sex abuse. Not 212 victims. Because if I was kind of paying attention, I'd think, wow, that's a lot of kids from a couple of priests. No! 212 different priests! Matthias Gaffney of the Bay Area News Group joins us. He's covering the stories and an investigative reporter. Matthias, how are you? Good, thanks. So, do we have any conception of how many victims we might be talking about in this uh, story? Yeah, I mean, uh, it, you know, it's it's not entirely clear. Uh, we're getting kind of a rough picture just through lawsuits and other um, kind of open source. Um, uh, but the the attorneys who spoke yesterday, they estimate in the thousands. Yeah, I was going to say it almost has to be in the thousands, which is just oh, freaking horrifying. So how far, I don't quite understand what happened here. I haven't read the article. Um, is this opening up the books and finding out that this, you know, over many decades this has happened? Is this recently? What's the story? Yeah, this is over many decades. And it's it's a private law firm that, you know, has had represented a lot of victims. So they're, they're definitely advocating for victims. And they basically have taken 
you know, newspaper articles. There's a website, Bishop Accountability, what, that has a database um, logging all of the different priests across the country and their behavior. They have um, what the dioceses themselves have reported, and they take all of that and looked at these three dioceses in the Bay Area and determined here is what we have some documented proof of of the uh, offenders here in the Bay Area. And it's it's not the same as what we saw in Pennsylvania. That's, you know, when you're a law enforcement body, like an uh, attorney general's office, you have subpoena power. And so they could get the internal documentation. So you're not just learning. You're probably learning about more, you know, predator priests, but you're also learning um, how they handled them and, and what happened behind the scenes. Right. And as you point out, uh, the uh, the attorneys pointed out that because the vast majority of the claims had not been settled or have been settled or not fully evaluated, that the allegations are just allegations at this point. But, you know, again, which is the reason they do it that way. So they just stay, you know, allegations that can go in a file somewhere. Right. Right. So 212 priests in San Jose, Oakland, San Francisco, um, Can you give me some context on that? How many priests are there in the, a diocese that big? Yeah, I mean, currently um, there's approximately in each of those three dioceses more than 300 priests at this time. And so, you know, we're talking about over decades. So generally speaking, um, those numbers would have been somewhat static throughout the years. Um, and, you know, you have priests. Part of the issue in the past has been, the diocese themselves haven't been counting like the different orders of um, Catholics, you know, Salesians or Jesuits. And so that, that caused um, a lot of the counts that they provided to be lower. I mean, you'd look at San Jose, for instance, um, just in the news last week, they released their own self report of their um, uh, problem priest and they listed 15. And then if you look in the report today, they found uh, 33 in San Jose, and so they're calling it a deficient, you know, count, and they want a more thorough look from the, uh, the state AG here in California. Well, I would say any argument that the Catholic Church might make as to, well, uh, in in effect saying we're not going to open our books, uh, you know, we don't deserve this, is just gone. I mean, at this point, bear yourself, no pun intended, um, and, and you've got to come clean completely. In your I article, think we said this 20 years ago. Yeah, 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 true. One of the most egregious abusers on the list uh, is Stephen Kiesel, is it? Is that correct? It doesn't matter. Right. A, a priest who was placed on three years probation in 1978 for molesting two boys in Union City, later arrested, charged with molesting three girls at Santa Paul in Fremont in the late 60s and early 70s. He was allowed to continue serving in a number of Bay Area parishes in spite of those multiple offenses until the mid-80s before being defrocked in 1987. And he's eventually, in you know, 04, sentenced to six years in prison for abusing a 15-year-old girl. Wow. So serious serial child molester allowed to continue on and on for years and, and commit more offenses. It's really it's it's quite uh, disgusting. So you can go with the OK uh, in the 60s and maybe even in the 70s. We just didn't understand how damaging child molestation was. I guess you can go with that argument. But we have known how damaging it is for quite a while. And it would seem that this sort of cover up has been continuing recently. Yeah, I mean, I've been reporting on, you know, the local diocese. I've just reported uh, uh, over the weekend how, you know, and it, one thing that should be noted is, you know, we're continually talking about the children who have been abused. 
when there's this whole other facet and, and the, these dioceses have offices for the protection of children and vulnerable adults. And they consider a vulnerable adult someone who can't you know, care for themselves um, for maybe a mental illness or some oh other disability. Oh, my God. And, you know, I reported over the weekend how a woman they, they deemed a vulnerable adult came into confessional for um, uh, asking for forgiveness for a sex addiction. And the, the priest offers his personal spiritual guidance, which turns into, you know, her alleging that he asked her to send him nude photos and videos to using inappropriate crucifix on her. And, you know, eventually they send her to have an exorcism to remove her, quote, Jezebel spirit. How do you have this many pervs in one organization? Are pervs attracted to the Catholic Church? Is the word on the street in Pervville that if you want to perv on people, you go become a member of the Catholic Church or become a priest. You become a higher up, somebody powerful. I mean, because it's way outweighs normal society. I think we would all agree on that, wouldn't we, as a percentage of people? Or am I wrong? Well, I mean, you talk to the experts, and one thing they point to is, as you bring up the average population, the average population isn't asked to be celibate like they are in the Catholic Church. And so, you know, there's reports that, you know, a certain percentage of priests are sexually active. And, you know, not all of them are, you know, doing inappropriate stuff with kids. You know, maybe they have a consensual um, relationship with another adult, but there's this this um, organization of secrecy. So, you know, they're going to get in trouble for having this relationship. And so they have this secret and they have this um, secret to hold. And they know that there are other brothers who may be doing something with a child. Uh-huh. You know, if they come forward, then their veil of secrecy is over. And it's just it creates this um, domino effect. And and, you know, that's what a lot of the experts point to. Matthias Gaffney from the Bay Area News Group is on the line. Hey, Matthias, last question. We barely have a minute. Do we know what's next? Yeah, so um, today, actually, that same law firm is announcing a lawsuit against the Vatican um, for some shuffling of priests um, for some of their clients. Um, And they also, uh, there's also a push in California. uh, You know, there's more than a dozen states now that are launching their own Pennsylvania grand jury report um, type of uh, investigation. And in California, the AG hasn't, they they declined to comment on whether they open one or not. But we've talked to... um, uh, survivor advocates who have said that they've met with higher ups in the AG's office and they're kind of talking about what it would look like and how could they organize it and get help from county DAs mm. to do such a thing here. It's a it's a must, an absolute must. Matthias Gaffney, Bay Area News Group investigative reporter. Matthias, great to ta- talk to you. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. You got it. So I made a statement and then decided maybe I'm wrong. Is that not different than average society or they're just way more pervs than i think there are well i don't know the answer to that but the web of mutual silence that he explained matthias explained that was that was really good interesting god dang it there's a there's a lot to say on this i just i just hope finally they get the message uh marshall what's coming up in your news got the latest on possible bombs sent to obama clinton and cnn yeah this is an interesting breaking story Hmm. Yeah. I have questions. Hmm. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. I want to talk more about that Catholic Church Bay Area story maybe next hour. Um, it's the same theories and questions, I guess, but. 
frustrating. Imagine I can't imagine how frustrating it would be if you're uh, if you're one of the victims. Good well, lord. Well, in the the horrible bitter irony of these crimes being perpetrated uh, under the umbrella of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is utterly unforgivable. Yeah. Unforgivable. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you, you know, s- God will forgive, according to the good book. I will not. No, and society shouldn't. You, you're so far off the rails. Yeah. I mean, th- imagine that. What's going on in your head? God. Uh, let's get to the news out, with Marsha Phillips. Well, I got to tell you, we got a string of reports about potential explosive devices being mailed to a number of people, including former President Obama. Hillary Clinton and CNN's home office in New York. But they want to clarify something. The Secret Service wants to clear this up. There was no suspicious package sent to the White House. There had been an earlier report that uh, a suspicious package had uh, been detected, but those are incorrect. Those reports are incorrect. Apparently there was some confusion at the mailroom screening center. How suspicious are these packages? I mean, I'm going to be really cynical about this NBC. until until I get more information. Because I got to believe people like uh, CNN, the Clintons, Obama they get they get suspicious, threatening phone calls, emails, and packages right. all the time, right. and always have. Well, we got a couple of other reports too. Reporter Sarah Westwood is now tweeting the suspicious. Device. Oh, our old buddy. Yep. We like Sarah. She yeah. abandoned us well, for like CNN. <laughs> CNN sucks! CNN sucks! (laughs) A suspicious device, uh, Sarah tweets, sent to the CNN office in New York was addressed to former CIA director John Brennan. Or Brennan. And also, we've got another report, this one from uh, Positive Sean. He's picked up on this. What do you have? Yeah, uh, police are responding to a, quote-unquote, again, a suspicious package sent to Debbie Wasserman Schultz of Florida. Okay, interesting. A who's who of progressives. Yeah. Either a whack job somewhere yeah, or, or a whack job is trying to portray right-wingers as whack jobs. Either exactly. way, they're whack job. Right. Um, uh, hey, yeah, Hanson, you should see if Sarah Westwood would come on and tell us about the CNN thing. We, we miss Sarah Westwood. We used to talk to her all the time. We like old Sarah. NBC News reporting that the uh, potential explosive devices that were mailed to Obama, Clinton, and CNN all have similar characteristics. The CNN Center in New York City is evacuated at this hour. So that's how it stands right now. And the White House Press Secretary, Sarah Sanders, has been uh, texting, This is all despicable. These are terrible, terrorizing acts. She's calling the perpetrators cowards. Sanders noted that a full-scale criminal investigation is now underway. Saudi Arabia's powerful crown prince has called the killing of uh, Jamal Khashoggi a a heinous crime that cannot be justified. The crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, separately said that the killing of the Washington Post columnist will not drive a wedge between the kingdom and Saudi Arabia. So he's going with the rogue actor's... uh I didn't order this. Right. A bunch of people went off on their own, renegades, right. and we're going to punish them story. Probably execute them for following his orders. Correct. His cop- and we're going we're gonna to buy that because it's in our interest, even right. though we don't actually believe it, which I think might be the right course. Um, interesting. Well, can we get word to him? And listen, these characters who, who met Mr. Khashoggi there at the consulate and beat him down and chopped him up are unsavory as hell, but... Can we get the word to the prince? Listen, you don't have to execute him. I, I just, my sense of justice, and this is weird, is this a sense of justice or not? My sense of justice doesn't want these guys executing, executed for doing precisely what the prince told them to do. 
It's just wrong piled upon wrong piled upon wrong. All right, my friends, if you want to detect fake news, all you got to do is talk to a millennial. Younger Americans are better at sorting fact from fiction, according to a new Pew Research Center analysis. They tested adults on 10 factual or opinionated statements, and they found 12% more younger adults identified all five factual statements as fact than older adults. If you identify all five, you advance to the next round, right? Yes. Don't watch the news. I don't don't blame you, son. (laughs) Researchers are saying digital savviness, political awareness, and uh, skepticism about news in general are very strong factors for correct identification, and millennials seem to possess most of those. Yeah, well, that kid there is actually on to one of the things that the millennials don't do, and that's watch cable news at the same rate that the uh, the older people do. Right. Uh, so they're less, they're they're more kind of just aware of what cable news is. I feel. Boy, I'm I'm happy to hear that. That can't be anything but a positive, right? right? If the next generation watches less cable news, that's got to be a positive. And it turns out, excuse me, it turns out the winner of last night's massive Mega Millions lottery drawing is not going to get as much money as they thought. The one point... Yes, who thought? Shouldn't somebody know? <laughs> yeah, we uh, we recounted it, and you're going to get like 150 bucks. Yoink! The $1.6 billion jackpot has been revised downward to a mere $1.54 billion. Revolve! Well, somebody absconded with tens of thousands of dollars. Fake lottery! Thanks for taking my money, Exactly. Lottery officials saying, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, the sales weren't quite as strong as we thought they would be. So that's as he why. lights a cigar with a $100 right. bill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like that Mitt Romney picture with money coming out of his pockets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hard to say what happened. Right. Some of it's missing. What are you going to do? <laughs> He's wearing an ostrich suit. <laughs> the sole winning ticket for the jackpot was sold in South Carolina, where winners are allowed to remain anonymous. Hmm. So... Yes. They revised it down $45 million, or I don't remember your number, but it's like $40, $50, 60000000 million. Yeah, it was yeah, a pretty good chunk. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it fell off the back of a truck. <laughs> South Carolina in one, that's, uh, that's good news. They can get a carton of smokes and some new teeth. Huh? Huh? <laughs> right, probably, probably a new T-top firebird. You know what that is? Stereotypes about Southerners. Yes, that's what is. that is. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips. Yeah, I'm starting to get a new show. firebird. <laughs> The conscience of a nation. Here's a bird of another kind. Get $30 million worth of Dale Earnhardt memorabilia. (laughs) Number three, gone but not forgotten. And the world's biggest Confederate flag. How dare you? And I'm going to buy the Moon Pie Corporation (laughs) and rename them Joe Pies. Otherwise, they will be the same. My swimming pool is going to be full of sweet tea. And I'm going to have my own Waffle House in my house. <laughs> I walk into my kitchen and it's a Waffle House. You're going to keep it open 24 hours a day because I'm never sure when I'm going to be hungry. <laughs> ah, stereotypes. Oh, <laughs> they save so much time. Right! <laughs> Shorthand. Yeah, this whole uh, suspicious package thing, I'm, 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 I'm holding to, to see what this is actually going on here, but... Ongoing live team coverage. Yeah, I sure hope we're not entering an era where we decide that's okay, like it was in the 60s and 70s. Do you remember? I've got some stats for you that will blow your mind on that. Poor choice of words. Yeah, 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 you're right. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation.
So a couple of breaking stories today that we need to update you on. One, the whole Catholic Church thing, specifically in the San Francisco Bay Area and the 200-some priests that uh, are accused at this point right, of uh, the sort of thing priests get accused of. And uh, they're the bunch of victims are gathering together and going to sue the Vatican. They're going to announce that at 9 o'clock this morning, and that could be a big story. That sort of thing needs to happen. Yeah, and we're actually going to be talking to one of the attorneys tomorrow morning about it. Awesome. So the other story that's captured the world's attention, uh, or at least cable news' attention, is these suspicious packages that have been married to uh, Barack Obama, the Clintons, and the CNN offices. As of yet, we don't know what these packages packages are. Um, nothing has exploded. We don't even know if they are bombs or want to be bombs anyway. As Joe said earlier, we don't want to go back to a time where, you know, people did that sort of thing. And this is a good reminder for those of you who are going with the whole, uh, we live in the most difficult times ever, man. And we're all so shattered by it. If an election goes the other way, it's the worst thing ever. Uh, bombings became very popular in the 60s and 70s, as the older crowd uh, listening right here knows. But you might not remember how popular they were, uh, they were at one time. Um, the first uh, series of bombings... Happened in New York City in the late 60s. A group of radicals and led by a militant named Sam Melville featured an attacks on a dozen buildings around Manhattan between August and November of 1969. A dozen bombings in New York City in a couple of months. Yeah, amazing. We've got suspicious packages today, and you know, and we all stop and think, oh my God, we've gotten crazy. Mm-hmm. And I don't want it to go further. <clears throat> oh, no, no. It wouldn't be a good thing to go further. But uh, we're not calling for upping your game. No, no, absolutely not. Um, Then the Weather Underground, which if you follow history, you've probably heard of them, but they were a very active bombing group. They began three months later. And by 1971, protest bombings, not just mailing a suspicious package, the bomb actually goes off. Right. Protest bombings had spread across the country in a single 18 month period. 71 and 72, the FBI counted an amazing 2,500 bombings on American soil in 18 months. That's five a day somewhere in the United States for a year and a half. Just astounding. You can't imagine that today. I mean, the way we're reacting to this news. And I'm not, again, I'm not trying to claim we're soft or it'd be better if they were exploding, but. Uh, well, we are soft. We are softer than we were then. Oh, we're incredibly soft. But that, that we think, oh my God, the country's coming apart. Five bombings a day. Yeah. In the United States for a year and a half. They use an example of it got to the point where there was a uh, a bomb threat that, well, they believed they had a suspicious package in a movie theater. The police came in and said, everybody's got to leave. We've got a package. And everybody's like, whatever. There were so many, you know, attempted bombings that didn't happen and so many bombings. People stopped even paying attention. People stayed. They refused to leave the theater. Wow. Wow. <laughs> in New York. Because, they said, well, whatever, another bombing. What am I going to do? Never go to the movies? Because every time there's a claim of a bomb threat. You know, as a fan of history, it's interesting to think about the context of, you know, the late 60s and early 70s. And it had to be mostly about Vietnam. And so many people were dying there. It's so many Americans were dying there. Never mind the other, you know, Vietnamese that life was cheap. Yeah, that wave of bombing started with various groups uh, bombing ROTC places and college campuses. That's where it got started. And then it spread to a variety of things, and anybody who supported the war effort, and, and just just anybody you didn't like, um, San Francisco particularly, it lasted a really long time. 
nasty series of attacks clear up through 1976 when San Francisco was referred to by an FBI spokesman as the Belfast of North America. Wow. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to go back to anything close to that. But I'll tell you what, it sure feels like we're moving that direction. Oh, that's beyond question. Yeah. I don't think that's a construct of cable news. I mean, the the whole incivility thing, screaming at people, hectoring them in restaurants. And, you know, it's, what's, what's really interesting, like psychologically slash historically, is that in a lot of cases, you're whipping up people to think the smallest change in policy is akin to the Vietnam War. In the same way that if you say, well, I think, you know, ICE should exist. I don't think we should abolish uh, the immigration control and enforcement. That creates an unsafe environment which could lead to violence. So it's like everybody's desperate to feel like it is life and death. It's exciting. It certainly doesn't help. Um, you know, you can you can blame uh, Trump if you want for CNN sucks and... Uh and you know whatever he said about hecklers and you know that's perfectly legitimate but come on now when you got the san jose and portland police letting people be beaten down in the streets because the people doing the beating are kind of on your side politically you're going to tell me that's not contributing to this oh 100% it absolutely is those aren't words that's actual violence yeah when people see people like them getting beat up it makes them mad yeah, and they feel justified in the, well, things and all the rules are out the window now. I, well, I, which you could understand how you'd come to that conclusion. Sure. I don't know how we get to the, how we fix the part where both sides feel like they're the ones counterpunching. Mm-hmm. Right. Each side feels like the other team threw sure. the first shot, and now yeah. I'm, ju- I'm just yep. defending myself. Yep, we, absolutely. We, and then once you get there, whether it's with your little kids or a marriage right. or, or, or this, it's, it's difficult to go back. Oh, my God. Well, I just did that because you. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, and it's endless and, yeah. and, and idiotic, which is why the wise and benevolent Armstrong and Getty show a couple of hours ago was shouting, stop it. Everybody, stop it. And politicians. And I say politicians because the cops have to do, to most, to a large extent, what the politicians tell them to do. Politicians, don't let people be lawless or you will reap what you sow. Absolutely. And what you are sowing are the seeds of violence and hate. And it will happen on both sides and it's just going to be ugly. The thin veneer of civilization that we've had going since that bombing spree in the 60s and 70s, where now, thank God, a couple of suspicious packages make make us stop and, and think, oh my God, things have gotten out of hand, because we've gotten that much more civil, it would seem. Right. But so one of the reasons it seems to me that we allow people to get on the elevator and scream at Jeff Flake, that we allow people to scream at Nancy Pelosi in her face when she's walking in someplace, that we allow people to pound on Mitch McConnell's table at a restaurant is we kind of have the feeling well they wouldn't actually hurt them yeah well that yeah. goes away really fast when you get the, the the you know somebody crosses that line quickly then everybody crosses that line yeah and what this is is a couple of things number one wackadoo college professors who actually believe this crap all the you know the grievance studies and the everything's an emergency all the time and safe spaces and the rest of it and the other thing is you know, we've and, and it's funny working in the media. We see this in every branch of the media. The desperation for eyes and ears is so acute right now because you have so many choices. The politicians can't get you to turn out 
by saying, and uh, we're offering a marginally more acceptable uh, tax rate or a package of tax uh, cuts. No, they have to say, you will die! You will die! It's Hitler. Everything you hold dear will be crushed. Hitler! Trump is the new Hitler! Nancy Pelosi's coming for your guns. Obama's going to invade Texas. Right, right. Everything is on 11 all the time now to get you to pay attention even a little bit. You know, cable news. Everything's breaking news all the time. This story will be breaking news until my 68th birthday. And this uh, that's quite some time. This, uh, we're, we're, although, you know, it's funny, Marshall did uh, one of his dumb studies. No, I'm kidding. It was actually quite interesting about uh, millennials much being much better at sorting through this and realizing that ah, it's hype. And they don't watch cable news, thank God. Right, right. Can you imagine that? There were 2,500 bombings on U.S. soil during an 18-month period in the 70s. Yikes. That's insane. Yikes. I wonder how much different it would have been if cable news had existed at the time. Would they... 1970s. Fats Domino ruled the charts. Right. President Herbert Hoover promised an end to the Depression. Lindbergh crossed the Atlantic. 1970s. I remember them well. <laughs> You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. I'm not a fan of Hitler. <laughs> 